Thursday, the Carolina Hurricanes open up their training camp, and they do so as, according to the odds makers, the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. I can't process that, really, uh, personally, but uh, I think they're certainly among them. But, hey, uh, Vegas Vegas knows. Speaking of Vegas, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN National NHL writer, was out there. And, uh, Mr. Wyshynski, you asked cool questions to a lot of players, including Seth Jarvis, uh, who just likes to play golf and uh, sleep, take naps uh, in his downtime. <laughs> uh, how are you? Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Yeah, no, it was cool. I I, I enjoy. I'm, I always love going out there uh, to Vegas for various reasons, uh, but also because the players' tour is a really good time to ask uh, goofy questions and and uh, get some insight. And everybody's in a good mood. Like mm-hmm. every single one of those guys, maybe outside of Connor Bedard, was in a really good mood and uh, and wanted to talk and was uh, free and flowing with the information. Is Connor Bedard already over it? So I was talking to somebody earlier today about Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard is, you know, obviously everybody knows the first overall pick yeah. in the draft, young superstar with the Blackhawks, not good at the media thing yet. Okay. And, and my theory on that is that I've seen him now twice. I saw him at the rookie availability sure. in Virginia. Then I saw him in Vegas. And my theory on that is that he just wants to get going. Like yeah. he's been asked a thousand times Hey, what, what's your what's your standard for excellence in your first season? And and I'm thinking he's he's thinking I I don't know I'd like to just go out and show you what I can do. So I, I think he he doesn't quite know why he has to do this stuff and he has to do this stuff to sell the game and be yeah. a star and and other young players have had to learn that over time too, like McDavid. Um, but in his case, I think it's just kind of like like one of the things he keeps saying is I haven't even made the team yet, which. Okay. It's accurate, although they're selling, you know, thousands of season tickets in his name. Yeah. But I think he's just raring to go and, and tired of having to talk about it. In Vegas, I wonder if you can get a place a wager on whether or not Connor, Connor Bedard will make the Blackhawks opening night roster minus a trillion. You think minus a trillion <laughs> uh, for hey, well, uh, that's, that's- that's if you can make a wager in Vegas. I was there during the hack. You heard about the hack, right? Oh, no, I didn't. What happened? Okay, so all of the MGM properties in Vegas and some of, some other ones outside of Vegas were hacked. There was oh, a giant no. cyber attack. I did hear that. Uh, I thought immediately that it was Danny Ocean. <laughs> 75% of the slot machines were inoperable. Yep. The credit card machines were inoperable. Um, they had to put somebody in the elevators of the Aria because the phones didn't work. So if you needed to contact the front desk for any reason, you had to walk to the elevator, call the elevator, Tell someone with a walkie-talkie what you needed, and then they radioed down to the desk. The weirdest thing was the, the lights in my room are obviously all controlled electronically. And so Tuesday night, I'm there, like a couple days after this hack. They all start turning on and off on their own. Oh, no. The curtain in my room starts opening by itself. It's like a poltergeist. And finally, to like get to sleep... I had to like unscrew the light bulbs in my room. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the lights are off. Like it's for those who haven't been following it there. It's still going on, I think. And it's really serious stuff. Like the cyber attack is no joke. Well, it's called, I'm sure it's costing Terry Benedict a fortune. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Greg Wyshynski is joining us here on the Adam Gold show from ESPN. All right. Uh, let me just get to this. The reason I, I texted you yesterday was because we should have seen this coming, right? 
Uh, Mike Babcock hired to help a turnaround with the Columbus Blue Jackets, which had already started through player acquisition. And shockingly, it ended badly. Um, Explain to people what Babcock did to get himself to the point where he ultimately resigned yesterday. Yeah, so basically he's somebody who had a litany of of, uh, abuse charges against him, Mm -hmm. mental abuse charges against him after he was fired by the Maple Leafs. Uh, Stories came out about how he made Mitch Marner as a rookie make a list of his teammates from the guys who hustle the most to the ones who Mm -hmm. don't hustle and and then shared that list with the players that were at the bottom, embarrassing Marner. Uh, He was emotionally abusive to Johan Franz and who played with the Red Wings for a long time. His reputation, Babcock, as a coach, took a huge hit. That being said, he was still getting interviews for NHL jobs, right. including the Washington Capitals gig, and then got hired by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, in the last week, what happened was uh, the Spit and Chicklets podcast, and Paul Bissonnette, who's an analyst on TNT, yep. got wind of the fact that Babcock was asking players on the Blue Jackets to share their photo their camera rolls with him on their cell phones. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was asking some veteran players this and just being like, Hey, I just want to see your family. Here's pictures of my family, what have you. He was also asking younger players this and younger players that are in a much different place in life. And in one case I've heard even took the phone from a younger player and started scrolling through all of his photos and maybe even some text messages as mm-hmm. well. And so the younger players on the team felt very weird about this. And when you're Mike Babcock and you are under all of this scrutiny already about your behavior in past situations, and apparently he did this phone thing in Toronto too, um, it came to light through the podcast. And then the NHLPA uh, and their new executive director, Marty Walsh, used to be the mayor of Boston, Mm -hmm. uh, flew to Columbus to investigate this on their own. So they interviewed players at the arena, got all the information, then met with the NHL, the NHL and the NHLPA shared their information with to the Blue Jackets last Friday, and then it became kind of apparent that moving forward with Babcock as the coach was not going to be tenable based on his current relationship with half the roster, right? So uh, he resigned. Uh, Pascal Vincent, who was an associate coach there already, was named head coach over the weekend, and then yesterday the team tried to explain how they allowed this to happen, the, you know, everybody kind of admitting it was a mistake. And when asked about the critics like myself who said hiring Babcock in the first place was a yeah. bad idea, team president John David said, said well, maybe it was. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 was, it was a bad idea. Uh, and the NHL just met, uh, allowed uh, Joel Quenville to make a presentation as to why he should come back into the league. And Babcock has a Stanley Cup. I get it. He has been a successful coach. But at what cost do does the NHL allow people like this to who and the NHL already has a little bit of a problem and I think I probably am sugarcoating that uh with some uh behind the scenes stuff uh in terms of abuse mental abuse with players right what what Joel Quenville essentially oversaw was uh, a, a a situation where it didn't matter that one of their prospects was being sexually abused by a staff member what was more important to Quenville was winning a Stanley Cup. So I don't, I can't process why the NHL would even allow Quenville to come back, but I get the sense that they're going to. They might. I mean, I, he's been on the outside looking in for a long time, and, and maybe this Babcock situation 
gives them some pause in so far as trying to reinstate the guy. Um, but in Babcock's case, like, look, look, his reputation was certainly tarnished, but like you said, there was also a n- number of people within the hockey world and, and frankly, within the hockey media that were desirous to see this guy's reputation get mended yeah. and to see him get another chance. I mean, on top of, of having a successful run with Detroit where he won a Stanley Cup, by mm-hmm. the way, uh, didn't really do anything once Nick Lidstrom left the league. <laughs> remember that. Uh, he also won two gold medals at Team Canada. Again, you and I can mm. coach the greatest assemblage of talent in the yes. history of hockey, too, and probably won a couple gold medals as well. But nonetheless, he was there and, and gets credit for it. So there's a certain mystique to his success, and, and he's got a lot of friends in the industry. And one of them was Jarmo Kekalainen, the GM of the Blue Jackets, who said, Yesterday, look, I've known this guy since the late 1990s. Uh, I wanted to give him a second chance. I reached out to people that I respect. They all thought that he deserved a second chance. I'd love to know who these people are, by the way. And uh, and and so he, he gave it to them, and then the whole thing blew up in their face. And and now they're going to have to face the repercussions for it. I mean, what does that locker room look like after this whole thing falls apart? Mm-hmm. And what happens to Quenville to uh, to Kekalainen, rather? And John Davidson, the team president, after this season is done, ownership came out with a statement yesterday to say, we're going to keep him in place now because we don't want to further disrupt the season, which is not exactly a vote of confidence. No. So we probably get to see what the ramifications are for those two uh, insofar as this becoming such a disaster for the franchise. I also wonder what it means for Boone Jenner, who's the captain of the Blue Jackets, who was either at least publicly on board with what Mike Babcock wanted to do and even went to bat for him, in, at least initially. And again, I don't know how much of that is. He's our coach. I got to keep the peace. He might have been saying other things behind closed doors. One uh, one hockey thing that I thought that I loved your piece about, uh, you know, talking to all these players about stuff that isn't necessarily nuts and bolts, but Johnny Gaudreau suggested that we no longer have a shootout. I am team jo- Johnny Gaudreau in this case. <laughs> Just play three-on-three three until we get a winner. If we have to have a winner, and I'd be okay with the tie, but if we have to have a winner, then just play three-on-three three until we get a winner. We'll get one. There's no question we'll get a winner. Yeah, I was, I, I, I again, I hate, I've hated the shootout since the moment mm-hmm. it was implemented. I was never a fan, and uh, and I'm happy that there's strong anti-shootout sentiment from, from people within the league. I don't know if it'll ever affect change, but, but that's good to see. But yeah, the the superstar roundtable that we had today on ESPN, I think my favorite part was that rules part. I mean, you had some really interesting thoughts. Cage Thompson saying you should be able to kick the pocket. Yes. Sidney Crosby saying he, I mean, not, not saying it should happen, but saying he'd be interested in seeing if we put the red line back in, <laughs> took away those two line passes, uh, what the what the sport would look like. Now he's probably saying that because the average age of his team is like 41 years old. But, uh, you know, it's still an interesting thought nonetheless. And, and some other really interesting ideas. I always like to talk about uh, rules changes with these guys because while some of them are a little bit resident to, uh, reticent to put their opinions out there on these things, there are other ones that certainly uh, have mulled over what they would change about the league uh, when they thought about it. Yeah, Seth Jarvis said he wants referees to be interviewed after games, yeah. I yeah. I can't. I mean, I disagree with that. We just don't need to feed the beast anymore. We have enough conversation about referees. Like, I don't really want to question them after games. I think we have a pool reporter if there are legitimate questions, but they don't need. To, we don't need to have uh, I, these guys I, at a I press conference. That I would love to know more about. Uh, we do have pool reporters, and sometimes they speak, and sometimes they don't after games on controversial calls. I agree with you. Uh, uh, the, the, what turned me around about it was talking to some officials in the league about it, and 
the idea that the more we know about these guys and the more we hear about these guys, the harder it is for them to do their jobs because now they're mm-hmm. going to be on the record about certain things. And, you know, I, I get that. But, I mean, when it comes to, like, big moments, controversial calls, there absolutely needs to be people on the record talking about it yeah. after the game, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, again, I think that's what we get from a pool reporter. Rod Brindamore, and I'll let you go on this, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Rod Brindamore wants an eye on the sky reviewing all the calls. Uh, he said, we can do this in two seconds. Like, was that a penalty? Nope, that was a bad call. That's okay, because ultimately the guys on the ice want to get it right, too. Like, everybody wants yeah. to get it right. <laughs> I mean, I, I know where Roddy's coming from, but at the same time, that's that's a little veering a little bit too close to robo-umpires at the end of the day, right? Like, human error mm-hmm. remains a indelible part of pro sports. I mean, we see it every Saturday and Sunday during the fall, yep. uh, as much as it pains us to see it. It's one of the things that makes sports fun is that a game can change on a uh, on a call whether it's a good call or a bad call. I'm I'm I'd be all for getting rid of replay across all sports, every sport. I mean, the guy for the most part, these guys do a great job, and dealing with bad calls should be part of the game. I'd be a hundred percent in favor of it. Uh, I I I see. I think. I know where you're coming from. I, I do think that we still need it for scoring plays. Okay. That's, where, that's where I draw the line. You know, sc- a scoring play for me is like... Does it go over the line? Does it cross yeah, does the it line? Yeah, does it go over the line. And, and maybe we can eventually use technology to get that right or, or not. But, I mean, I think for me, that's that's the biggie for me. Is like, if we have the ways to determine if it's a goal or not, we should use those ways. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. At Wyshynski on Twitter. Hey, thank you, man. I'll see you soon. I know. Anytime. Take you care. Got it. Greg Wyshynski here from ESPN on the Adam Gold Show.